On today's episode, with the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup on Tuesday, the NHL buyout window has officially opened this morning, and I'll discuss whether the Blackhawks have any buyout candidates, and I'll also go over whether Riley Height could be the pick at number 19. All that and plenty more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, everyone? Welcome on in to another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Today is Friday, June 16th. Happy Friday to everyone out there. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And real quick, just a reminder that you can subscribe or follow along to the show for free wherever you may be listening to your podcast. Make sure to go and do that real quick, folks. It helps me out tremendously, and also that way you can get the latest episode as soon as it becomes available each and every day. I also wanted to let you know that today's episode is sponsored by FanDuel. Make sure to go and download the FanDuel app right now because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Make sure to go and download the FanDuel app right now. All right, good morning, everyone. As always, thank you all for joining me on another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks. Thank you all for making the show your very first listen here to start off your day. Hope I'm sounding okay to everyone out there. Obviously, I'm going with the headphones microphone on the podcast here today, which is very aggravating considering I just dropped about $150 to get a new Yeti Blue microphone, and it's been giving me some issues the last couple of days. I'm not the most tech-savvy person, so I'm trying to figure out what the problem could be, but until Uh, I figure out that solution. Unfortunately, I'm going to be going with the headphones microphone. So I hope I'm sounding okay to all the listeners out there. But to kick things off on the show here this morning, as we begin to roll into the weekend, I figured I'd talk for at least a few minutes about, of course, the Vegas Golden Knights winning their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. And they did so in a kind of landslide fashion with a nine to three victory over the Florida Panthers in game five, really took it to them for the greater portion of the Stanley Cup final and was just a team on the mission uh, throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. I did predict that Florida's Cinderella run was going to end here. It just feels like that that's usually what happens. And also the team that usually beats the Toronto Maple Leafs in the playoffs for the last four years, they've now lost the Stanley Cup final Take that for what you will, but I did have a feeling that the Panthers, uh, their momentum was going to be halted by the deep team that is the Vegas Golden Knights, but I certainly didn't expect it to be uh, kind of the lopsided battle that it turned out to be. Vegas was just way too deep. They had all four forward lines rolling. Their defense did a great job of mucking it up, blocking shots, really not giving Florida any room to work with and not giving them any, like, Sure, they had some chances, but they really did a good job of limiting the amount of dangerous opportunities that Florida generated throughout, you know, the the greater good of this entire series. And it also didn't help that uh, Sergei Bobrovsky in net for the Panthers 
had undoubtedly his worst series of the Stanley Cup playoffs, wasn't able to keep standing on his head like he did against Carolina and uh, against Boston and against Toronto. An unfortunate time for Bobrovsky to, to play his worst hockey of the postseason, but still, make no mistake about it, they wouldn't have got there without the performances from Sergei Bobrovsky, particularly on the road throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. But yeah, he did wind up getting... Uh, severely outplayed by Aiden Hill here in the Stanley Cup final, but they wouldn't have been there without him in the first place. So really can't put the blame on Bob for dropping the Stanley Cup final, but huge congratulation goes out to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, after missing the Stanley Cup playoffs last year, which put a smile on a lot of hockey fans around the country. Uh, And the Blackhawks actually had a huge part in that with, uh, I believe it was a overtime victory, or I know they at least took it to overtime. This was going back to the 2021-2022 campaign, kind of similar to the spoiler that the Blackhawks played against the Calgary Flames and the Pittsburgh Penguins late in the season this year. Uh, they did the same thing to Vegas last year, but what a way for them to bounce back after missing the postseason, run through everyone, and as I said, get their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. They also reached the conference final for the fourth time in six years. I mean, what a a team that's been put together here in Vegas, competitive each and every season. A lot of people have been kind of angry with how they've gone about shaping their roster and how they've used LTIR to their advantage, a la the Tampa Bay Lightning, and um, just a lot of peculiar moves, but it winds up working for them. They're now in the record books, just six years into becoming an NHL franchise. They already have their first Stanley Cup victory. Jonathan Marcheseau wins the Conn Smythe Trophy, which kind of only adds salt to the wound for the Florida Panthers. Um, Obviously, I had Jack Eichel as my prediction to win the Conn Smythe Trophy at the beginning of the series, but Marcheseau just had that incredible goal streak. It seemed like every game he was finding the back of the net and being one of those core Vegas Golden Knights that was there from the start. While I thought Eichel was going to win it at the beginning of the series, it was very clear to me after game five that Jonathan Marcheseau was going to be the one uh, to win the Conn Smythe. And that put a huge smile on my face because he's been one of my favorite players in the league since he potted 30 goals and had that breakout campaign with the Florida Panthers. Dale Talon, though, ultimately elected to leave him available for the Vegas expansion draft along with Riley Smith. They did so to protect defenseman Alexander Petrovich, uh, Mark Pissick, and I believe it was Jason Demers. And in order to keep Demers, that's what led to the package of Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau going to the Golden Knights. So Dale Talon, I know he did a lot of good stuff for the Blackhawks, but not his finest move there for the Florida Panthers. Basically, handing Vegas two cornerstones of their franchise, handing them now a Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Yeah, that certainly was uh, probably a, a little bit of salt in the wound to the Panthers fans who had just watched their team get severely outplayed by the Vegas Golden Knights. But a cool moment there for Jonathan Marcheseau after just not being wanted by a couple of teams early on in his career, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, as I said, gets left available for the Vegas expansion draft. And now, He's become the first Conn Smythe Trophy winner in Vegas Golden Knights history. Pretty cool turnaround for number 81, Jonathan Marcheseau, in his NHL career. But with Vegas winning the Stanley Cup, one thing I like to do kind of year after year is take a little bit of an outside look and a, a breakdown 
at the winning team's roster and seeing kind of just what it takes to get the job done to win a Stanley Cup in the modern era. And while the NHL has undoubtedly gotten faster and the game has been changing, it's more offensive now than it's really uh, ever been since like the 2000s. We're seeing Connor McDavid put up, you know, Mario Lemieux, Yaramir Yager type numbers, but I still think the same type of teams wind up winning the Stanley Cup or the same format and the same overall breakdown of the roster kind of stays the same year after year. Yes, you need stud players. You need your best players to be playing at the highest level. You need Jonathan Marcheseau to be doing what he did. You need to be, you need Jack Eichel to be leading the way. You need Riley Smith, William Carlson, Mark Stone, all those guys. You need them chipping in. But it's always more than that. It's always a, a complete team game. And that's what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs the best playoffs in all professional sports to me. And it's what makes hockey the best sport because it is a team sport. And that's what makes the Stanley Cup, I, I think, lifting it. Um, you see you see emotion like you don't see in other sports because it, it's just it's just a different type of game. But kind of getting into my breakdown here of the Golden Knights in terms of their forward group, I referenced, if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you need your stars playing at the highest level, but you also need depth. And I've seen this kind of argument on Twitter. I don't even think it's really an argument, but there were some people out there saying, you know, Jack Eichel has a Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid. Would you rather have Jack Eichel? What are you talking about? No one in their right mind would take Jack Eichel over Connor McDavid. But it's just a reminder that you need a complete team in order to win the Stanley Cup. And Edmonton just hasn't done a good enough job of surrounding Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl with talent. But when you look at this Vegas Golden Knights team, one thing that stuck out in particular was how all four forward lines were rolling throughout the entirety of the postseason. And Coach Bruce Cassidy had trust in those bottom two forward lines. And the, the fourth line of... Um, Will Carrier, Keegan Colasar, those guys maybe didn't have the biggest impact offensively. Colasar had five points, Carrier had six. But more importantly, Cassidy trusted them to go out there and have a strong shift. Hell, he'd start them right out of the gate. He'd start that line to open up the night because he knew that line would set the tone. Maybe they didn't get the finished product, but they made the opposing defense and the opposing players work when they were out there on the ice. And that's the job of a fourth line is to make your opponents work, to be spending time in the offensive zone, to be difficult to play against. And that's what that fourth line did for Vegas, in my mind, throughout the entirety of the postseason. And they also got great contributions from some of their third liners as well. Nicholas Waugh had 11 points in 22 games. Michael Amadio played in 15 postseason games, had 10 points. Chandler Stevenson had 20 points in 22 games. So everyone was finding a way to contribute in their own way. The third line chipped in for some offense. The fourth line always set the tone and got momentum back on their side. Thought that was really key for Vegas throughout the postseason, having all four forward lines rolling and letting their big dogs, obviously, uh, the, the, the top six was just phenomenal for Vegas throughout the postseason. And then on defense, this feels like a consistent theme year after year in the Stanley Cup playoffs because if you want to win the Stanley Cup, you're probably playing 20, 25 games. Physical, intense hockey, unlike the regular season. And it, it feels like having a bigger bodied defensive core has really prevailed year after year. Thinking about the St. Louis Blues 
from a couple of years ago, how rugged they were on the defensive side of things. Even the Tampa Bay Lightning and some of the big guys that they had on their back end, Hedman, Sergachev, Bogosian, Chernak. I mean, a lot of big body defensemen, the Colorado Avalanche. Well, you know, you think about Kale McCarr and the offensive stuff that he can do. They had some big bodies on the back end last year as well. And then looking at Vegas, listen to the size they had on D. Zach Whitecloud was six foot two. Not was, he is. Zach Whitecloud, 6'2", Braden McNabb, 6'4", Alex Petrangelo, 6'3", Nick Haig is 6'6", Shea Theodore, 6'2", and Alec Martinez is 6'1". And look, I'm not saying you you need all of your guys to be above six foot, but it's clear you need some size, some physicality, some ruggedness on the back end to withstand the long journey that it takes in order to win the Stanley Cup. It just feels like it's a consistent theme year after year and why us Blackhawks fans should be really happy about additions like Ethan Del Mastro, Nolan Allen, Isaac Phillips, um, lots of size, Alex Vlasic. There's a lot of size coming up on the back end for the Blackhawks these next few years. And as we've seen in past Stanley Cups, it's really what you need in order to get the job done. And perhaps most importantly, if you don't have a good goaltender who's riding hot, you don't stand a chance in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've heard Eddie Olchek say it for years. If you don't get good goaltending, you don't stand a chance in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And a huge hat tip to Aiden Hill for coming in uh, in that second round, I believe, the last couple of games um, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was incredible, like literally was playing like Marty Brodeur out there. And for being a journeyman, it's really cool to see. And it just shows you if you get a, a goalie that's playing well at the right time, you got a chance each and every night. And Aiden Hill was phenomenal for Vegas, an 11 and four record in the Stanley Cup playoffs, along with a 2.17 goals against average and 932 save percentage. I mean, had he put up those numbers and played for Vegas in the entirety of the postseason, he would have been the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. He was that good in that for the Golden Knights. So, Again, kind of a, a similar breakdown to what we see most years, in my opinion. You need depth from your forward group. You need all four forward lines making contributions. You need size, physicality, ruggedness, and durability on the back end. And you need a goaltender that's riding hot. That was the makeup of the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, not surprising, at least to me, that they they ended the Cinderella run of the Florida Panthers because this team was just so deep. They were playing at a high level all the year long. And once again, congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights for their first Stanley Cup in franchise history. All right, coming up in just a moment here, Hawks fans, I will talk about the NHL's buyout window officially opening this morning and whether the Hawks have any buyout candidates on their roster right now. But first, I need to talk to you all about FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel because new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to 2000 $500. Just go to fanduel.com slash lockdown, place your first bet, and get up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win. The Stanley Cup final has come to a conclusion. Same with the NBA finals. Baseball season is here. I've been riding hot recently, betting against the Kansas City Royals, one of the worst teams in the entire MLB. I was doing well betting against the Oakland A's also until they rattled off seven wins in a row. But baseball season is in full effect here. Don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 when you join FanDuel today. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the MLB. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Real quick, before 
I get into segment two. For those of you out there who don't know, I'm currently on the road to get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. And I know I've been getting a lot of new viewership here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. If you're watching today's episode still and aren't already subscribed to the channel, please do me a huge favor. Make sure to go and smash that subscribe button down below. I'd really like to get to a thousand subscribers, ideally right before the 2023 NHL draft, which is 12 days away. We're just less than two weeks until Connor Bedard is coming to Sweet Home Chicago. So please make sure to go and subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And also, I'm going to be having a giveaway here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast soon. Once I reach 1,000 subscribers, I'm going to be giving away a couple of different things that the winner will be able to choose from. I have a Blackhawks reserve parking sign, a cool, I'll pull it up right here. This might be my favorite piece that I'm giving away, this cool Blackhawks wooden board. I also have a Jonathan Taves card. Uh, There's a couple of other things that I'm still figuring out what's going to go into the giveaway drawing, but the winner will be able to choose one of those Blackhawks items. And again, in order to do, in order to qualify, you have to be subscribed to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube and you have to follow Lockdown Blackhawks on Instagram. The way I'm checking that you're subscribed to the channel, DM Lockdown Blackhawks, just a screenshot that says you're subscribed to the channel. That way you can enter uh, a chance to win one of those free Blackhawks items that I'll give away once I reach a thousand subscribers. I greatly appreciate all the support out there, folks. All right, enough of that. Segment two for the 2023 Stanley Cup playoffs officially wrapping up on Tuesday night. The NHL's first kind of order of business here in the offseason opened up this morning as we saw the buyout window open and will run through June 30th here at the end of the month. And Like I said, it's kind of the first sign that the offseason has officially begun for every NHL club. We know it's been the offseason for over two months now for the Chicago Blackhawks, but now every team is officially in offseason mode with the Stanley Cup final coming to a conclusion. And I wanted to talk for a little bit on the show today about whether or not the Hawks have any players they could be thinking of buying out here in the next couple of weeks. And while the Hawks do kind of got to be thinking about some of the, the money situations that they're involved in right now, considering they do have to reach the salary cap for this summer, that may cause them to hold on to all of their current contracts. But uh, we have seen Kyle Davidson already buy out a couple of players in his tenure as GM. Some of you may have forgotten about this with everything that's gone down in the last year, but one of Kyle Davidson's first orders of business, apologies, I'm going to sip a coffee here. One of his first orders of business last summer when he took over as general manager was buying out a couple of players in uh, Brett Connolly and Henrik Borgstrom, two guys who were acquired by the previous regime led by Stan Bowman. Um, Kind of an interesting deal that really didn't wind up working out for either side as we expected it to. Um, And obviously with Davidson coming in, he didn't really see a spot for either Connolly or Borgstrom in the organization moving forward. And it didn't really hinder the team all that much in the rebuild, buying out these two. Um, They both are still on the books for the 2023-2024 season. Connolly's cap hit is $1.16 million, while Borgstrom's is just north of $183,000. But when taking a look at the Blackhawks roster right now, there's really only one player that could be in the conversation for a buyout, and that's right-handed defenseman Nikita Zaitsev, who the Blackhawks acquired uh, as part of a salary cap dump from the Ottawa Senators back at this year's trade deadline. And because the Blackhawks did the Sens a favor, they also received 
uh, a 2023 second round pick, which I believe is the 40th overall pick in this year's draft. So uh, a really no brainer type move there for Kyle Davidson. And he also got a fourth round pick as part of that package as well to take on Nikita Zaitsev's $4.5 million cap hit, which is seriously one of the worst contracts in the entire NHL. And Zaitsev did not look very good to be frank in his uh, first 18 game stint with the Hawks. I thought struggled to do a whole lot of anything. I mean, he took a lot of bad penalties, had a lot of defensive breakdowns, just really struggled to find his footing with his new team. And while yes, that $4.5 million cap hit of his will help the Blackhawks get to the salary cap floor. And that's one thing to keep in mind here, right? It's like Kyle Davidson kind of has to do some projecting of what he's going to be doing in free agency and what he expects to get done because that 4.5 million is very big for the Chicago Blackhawks at this point in time. But I do wonder if they consider buying out Zaitsev here just simply because of a depth perspective, because it's a numbers game on the back end for the Blackhawks right now. And Zaitsev could be taking up a spot for one of the young and up and comers. And also financially, it's still like maybe the Blackhawks want the full 4.5 million on their books, but with a buyout of Zaitsev, he'll still be on, he'll still have a $2.8 million cap hit this season. So takes off less than $2 million. So still a pretty good cap hit there. And then he'd only be on the books for just over $833,000 next year. And if you go and look at who the Blackhawks have under contract for, uh, the 2024-2025 season, it's literally like no one other than Seth Jones and Connor Murphy. I mean, so they're, they're not worried about having $833,000 on their books in the 2024-2025 season. That's not going to be the end of the world. So there is still a way where Nikita Zaitsev can help this team reach the salary cap floor with that $2.8 million cap hit if the Blackhawks elect to buy him out. And like I mentioned, that could open a spot up for another younger defenseman in the system. Taking kind of a, a look at the Blackhawks' decor and what they have at this very moment, there's only four guys who are uh, solidified NHLers at this point in time under contract for the Blackhawks right now. That's Seth Jones, Connor Murphy, Nikita Zaitsev, which takes up the whole right side of their decor, and then defenseman Jared Tenorti, who got a nice one-year, $1.25 million contract offer before the end of last season. Now, we do know, as I've referenced, Alex Vlasic, Wyatt Kaiser, Isaac Phillips, potentially Kevin Korchinski as well, depending on what decision the Blackhawks make with him. Uh, three or four of those guys, at least two of them for sure, should be NHLers for the Blackhawks uh, on opening night to kick off next season. So when you pencil in Kaiser or Vlasic slash Phillips, that fills up the decor right there. And then you still got to remember Caleb Jones is a restricted free agent who very well could be coming back. Um, Ian Mitchell as an RFA, I think it's pretty clear that his time in Chicago has ended here. Um, excuse me, Andreas Englund is a UFA. I don't think he's going to be coming back. The Blackhawks got him as part of the return for Jack Johnson at the trade deadline. But I, I think it's just a, it's a good time to be buying out Nikita Zaitsev because it ensures that the Blackhawks are going to be giving, having enough open spots for everyone to get an opportunity. Like I personally would rather have Caleb Jones 
or even Alec Regula back playing the right side of uh, the, the third defensive pairing there for the Chicago Blackhawks. It's just what is Nikita Zaitsev isn't part of the future. He's 31 years old. Quite frankly, he's not good. And th- there's no spot for him here in this rebuild, right? So I think buying out Nikita Zaitsev really does make too much sense. You could then slot in Caleb Jones, or even if you want to give Alec Regula another shot, um, I, I ultimately think it, it makes too much sense in terms of a numbers game to buy out Nikita Zadorov, Nikita Zadorov, Nikita Zaitsev, excuse me. Don't even want to think about the Nikita Zadorov tenure here in Chicago, but it, it just makes sense because it opens up more spots for some of the younger, more important players in the organization who are deserving of that NHL ice time. So when you take Zaitsev out of the picture, I think it does make sense. You can throw Caleb Jones back in there. You can add Kaiser, Vlasic, Phillips. You can even use Tenorti potentially as that extra seventh defenseman. I think it makes too much sense for the Blackhawks to buy out Nikita Zadorov, and he still has $2.8 million of his AAV on the Blackhawks books. All right, there are my thoughts on the buyout window opening up and whether the Blackhawks have any candidates to buy out. Don't go anywhere, Blackhawks fans, because I still have to get into forward Riley Heights 2023 NHL draft profile. All right, before I wrap up today's show, it's time to get into my next 2023 NHL draft profile here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. And today I'll be covering 18-year-old prospect Riley Height, a 5'10", 180-pound forward that played for the Prince George Cougars of the WHL the last couple of seasons. And by the way, make sure to go and check out my previous NHL draft profiles I've already broken down Numerous prospects such as Ryan Leonard, Colby Barlow, Andrew Crystal, Gabe Perot, uh, Matthew Wood, Gavin Brindley, Dalibor Dvorsky, and most recently up until today, uh, Daniil Boot. But getting into Riley Height, I mentioned he just finished his second season with the Prince George Cougars of the WHL and put up some pretty impressive numbers there, tallying 97 points, 25 goals, and 72 assists in 68 games this season. He also tallied two assists in five games for Team Canada at the U18 World Juniors, so maybe not the most impressive performance on a national stage. But to me, Riley Height is one of the most intriguing prospects that very well could be on the board if the Blackhawks stay home with the 19th overall selection. And I also think he's perfect for what they're looking for in this year's draft. First and foremost, height plays a game, plays the game with a lot of speed. He has great pace, can keep up and uh, controls the puck really well for playing at that high pace. And he is one of, in my opinion, the better playmakers in this year's draft as well. He's got great vision, um, very, very, good understanding of how to read a play at the fast pace and makes those little quick decisions that are kind of underappreciated and go a little bit underrated. Um, But he just has a natural playmaking ability, great offensive instincts, a good stick handler that often gets the puck dropped to him. He's the one who's carrying the mail through the neutral zone, has the puck handling and uh, the puck control to kind of bounce around some of the defenders who are standing up at the blue line. He's very shifty, uses his foot speed really well, and uh, is a really good player to enter, is really good at entering the puck with the offensive zone and, and making something happen. But I think just the thing that stood out the most to me with that speed, 
is what you're able to do with it, right? And I don't think this is a fair comparison. Um, Aiden Thompson was a third-round pick for the Blackhawks in last year's draft. But what I saw from Aiden Thompson at the Blackhawks development camp last summer was kind of similar to what I see here with Riley Height. They're just really good at making those little touch passes, those little read passes at a fast pace. Again, it's not the most flashy play, but it's very heads up and it shows you how well they're able to read the game on the fly at such a fast pace, how they're able to get that better understanding of what's going on, what's the bigger picture at hand. And it feels like Riley Height is just able to read the game really well. And it's very impressive to me how how he reads everything in front of him at such a high level for being only 18 years old. It's very impressive to me. And he's also a, a very, I think this is kind of an underrated part of his game too. He is a willing goal scorer, a willing shooter of the puck. He had 25 goals in 68 games this year, which maybe doesn't stand out at the WHL level, but for a guy who is more so known as a pass first playmaker, I, I do think he is a capable goal scorer at the NHL level as well. And does like to shoot the puck for a guy who's considered to be one of the best playmakers in this year's draft. He had 170 shots on goal in those 68 regular season games in the WHL this past season. So um, very not, he's not just one dimensional. He's very dynamic with the puck on his stick. He has a good curl and drag maneuver and knows how to kind of use defensemen as screens in front and is capable of picking some of the top corners as well. If he sees that a goaltender may be thinking pass, um, and I also, one part of his game that I really like too, is how he uses his speed and his recognition and his vision to generate breakaway chances for himself and also odd man rushes going the other way. And while some folks out there may take that as, oh, he's a cherry picker and he's really only trying to think about the offensive side of his game. That's actually not that true for Riley Heidi. He's a pretty responsible defender. He uses his speed very well on the defensive side of things too. He gets involved on the four check. He's scrappy. He's only five foot 11, 180 pounds. He'll have to throw some weight on, but he's a willing competitor. He's got a ferocity to him. He's not afraid of shying down. He'll get into the dirty areas and he does use the best aspects of his game, his feet in order to make an impact on the defensive side of things too. So there's a lot to like here with Riley Height, in my opinion. The speed is certainly there. So is the playmaking. I think the vision is awesome. I believe he's also a little bit of an underrated goal scorer, and I love how he's able to make reads at the highest speed. He's also, uh, one thing I didn't mention yet, he's a weapon on the power play as well, or at least has been so far for, for, for Prince George. Out of his 72 assists this season, 39 of them came on the power play, which was actually tied with uh, Connor Bedard for the most out of anyone in the entire uh, WHL. So lots of good things here for Riley Height. Uh, getting into the rankings here, kind of some disparity as well, but for the most part, everyone has him as a first-round pick. Uh, he was ranked the highest by the Daily Faceoff and Frank Saravalli at 11, ranked 14th by Dauber Prospects, 20th by the Hockey News, 22nd by Bob McKenzie, 26th by Sportsnet, 27th by Elite Prospects, 29th by McKean's Hockey, 30th by Chris Peters, and 37th by Craig Button. So Button was the only one who uh, projects Riley Height to be a second round selection in this year's draft. I personally think he's probably going somewhere in 
the late teens to the early 20s, if I had to guess, based on just kind of the overall makeup of his game. I think, like I said, there's a lot to like here. And getting into the strengths and weaknesses, quite frankly, there are a lot of weaknesses in my mind. Uh, his strengths, though, there's a lot of those. He skates at an incredibly well, uh, com- uh, a really high pace and has really good mechanics, really good acceleration. He also doesn't just use that speed offensively. He uses it on the defensive side of things as well. An incredible playmaking skill makes heads up passes, um, underrated passes, little little things to get his team going on the breakout and is also uh, capable of carrying the puck into the offensive zone, lugging the mail and setting up his teammates. I think he does have a very well-rounded defensive game too. Uh, he's a power play killer, great offensive instincts, always on the move, always keeping his feet moving, impacts the game in a lot of different ways. Uh, and then looking at the weaknesses, I, I think one thing that I heard from a couple of different sources was that he needs to do more in some of the biggest moments, a la the, the uh, most recent World Juniors, where he only put up two points in five games. He also was suspended, I believe, in back-to-back years now in the WHL playoffs. And um, just in some of the bigger games, it seems like Riley Height maybe needs to do a little bit more. But if that's the biggest knock on the kid for being 18 years old, I, I don't really have a lot of worries there. Other than that, needs to add some weight, only 180 pounds. If he can get closer to a buck 90, a buck 95 at five foot 10, uh, that's going to be some much needed muscle that'll help him kind of be able to take on the grind and the battles that the NHL level provides. Um, And then maybe I also thought sometimes on the power play, mostly he ends up forcing some passes. I do think obviously he's a gifted power play player, but um, I think sometimes he really tries to force passes and when things aren't open, maybe he needs to recognize it a little bit better and make other reads. Sometimes it looked like he had his mind made up a little bit and was trying to force passes to certain players. Um, but that's really all the weaknesses I, I could find in, in Riley Height's game. So for my overall consensus here, I think Riley Height has a very great chance of being an everyday NHL or somewhere in the middle of middle six. I also believe he has plenty of top six upside with his skating ability, with the playmaking, the vision, all that good stuff. If I had to bet, I think Riley Height is a lock to be a second line player for an NHL club in the future. Um, I just don't think there's a whole lot of risk here. Whereas some of the prospects that I've broken down, it feels like there's a lot of risk and look, the Blackhawks are in a spot where they can take a chance, but I'd kind of rather do that with a trade up into the first round. I don't know if I'd rather I don't know if I'd go that route with the 19th overall selection if the Blackhawks uh, wind up staying put. So for multiple different reasons, for being a a safe player, I think there's a good chance that he's going to be a second-line player, a a top-line power play guy. Just not a lot of risk involved with Riley Height in my mind, and I also think he's a great fit for what the Blackhawks are kind of looking for in this year's NHL draft. So If Riley Height is available at number 19, obviously it depends on who else is left on the board, but I would not be mad whatsoever if the Blackhawks selected him with the 19th overall selection. All right, folks, I think that is going to wrap up Friday, June 16th episode of Lockdown Blackhawks. As always, thank you all again for tuning into the show and be sure to go and subscribe to the YouTube channel and to go and follow Lockdown Blackhawks for free right now, wherever you may be listening to your podcasts. And that way you can get the latest episode as soon as it's available each and every day. 
Once again, I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Find me out on Twitter at Jack Bushman too. Or you can also go and check out my strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. So until the next episode, everyone, enjoy your weekend out there. And thanks again for tuning into the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.